and welcome to Tell Me About Your Song, the podcast where I talk to musicians and songwriters about a song they've written. Today's guest is Chris Monty, and the song he'll be talking about is from his album Home and is named The Eleven. So where would you like to start with the song, Chris? I mean, I have a clear memory of writing this song, and I came up with this sort of... came up with that and was playing it over and over and then was listening to a cassette of ideas that I had, you know, like little random pieces. And I found this. And suddenly I was like, oh, that goes together. Great. And then I sat down and sketched out some verses, which are all structured slightly differently. And then at some point I had the idea of a completely unrelated part. It was in a completely different key, major key. I'm like, that'll be in the song for some reason. And I was like, well, how will I get from this to this? Because they don't really show, there's nothing in common with those parts. So there's a very convoluted part of the song that joins the sort of main song with that in, internal section and I just sat down and that came like I won't say easily it was like this trial and error method but it came over the course of two days of intensely working on it I have an archive of song snippets partially finished songs and I have a literal file cabinet full of discarded lyric or lyrics that I haven't used yet if something is awful I'll throw it away but if something has you know sometimes it seems like I should keep it so I'll put it in the file cabinet and every once in a while, every couple of months, I'll go look at some of the writing in there. And every couple of years, I'll sit down and spend a whole weekend of just going through old pieces of writing, try to put things together. I guess one thing I should say about this song is I wrote it under pressure. I had exactly one more gig with a really great band that I had. I was playing with Andrew Holinsky on drums and Nick Pagano on bass. And both of them were like 18 years old. They were just graduating high school. And I was significantly older. Um, and they were great. And they could play anything. They learned my trickiest material. So I wanted to give them something that they could really dig into. That first verse I wrote about a band that I saw play at a farmer's market in Richmond, VA. And it was Mr. Blackwell, who was probably in his 80s, and his daughter, and then a younger man, you know, his daughter's age in, in his 50s. And they were playing old-time music at the farmer's market. And they were great, and I, I love old-time music, so I was happy to sit and listen to them. But one of the striking things is that Mrs. Phyllis Ladd Blackwell, whose name I know because I met her, and she gave me her husband's business card, she was enjoying the band from approximately 10 feet in front of them, sitting in a chair, and just sitting right in front of them, and obviously really digging it. Um, so she and I had a little chat. Uh, Mrs. Phyllis Ladd Blackwell thought that she for some reason should warn me of the dangers of uh, the combination of being a musician and uh, using drugs and drinking. Oh. <laughs> I, will, I will say that I was sober at the time. We talked about Waylon Jennings <laughs> a little bit and about his sad descent, as she referred to it. So when I sat down to write a lyric for this, for some reason that came up. So I started writing about them. Old time music in Richmond, VA. Mrs. Phyllis Ladd Blackwell, she don't play. But she sits right up close to her daughter and her man to get the feel of the picking of that old timey band. I mean, seeing that old time band was great, but it also made me reflect on 
learning to play old time music when I was 19 years old. I can give a shout out to Rachel Ede here, who's a great fiddle player that Jake and I first met when we were teenagers, right? Yeah. Wow. But yeah, but learning old time music and hanging out with old time musicians and digging into folk music is very important. And old time music is a specific genre. Yeah, it's a specific genre of like really guttural old fiddle tunes, not nearly as polished as bluegrass. And it's very repetitive. Um, there's like an A section to a song and a B section, and you play them until you get sick of that, and then you stop. But there's not necessarily a lot of variation within it. But it's it's like social music. It's dance music. It's not really performance music. But it really just hit me in the gut, that stuff. I really like it. And I guess the second half of that verse is a reference to the Worried Man blues. Later on in that tour, I was down in Florida... I played the show and I asked if anyone would put me up for the night. And there was some young guy there who said that I was welcome to crash with him. And as I was about to leave, he gave me a cassette tape of Woody Guthrie recorded by Alan Lomax. And on that, Woody Guthrie was playing the Worried Man Blues. So a little bit of the Worried Man Blues made it into that second verse. It takes a worried man to sing a worried song. I'm worried now, but not for long. A little fiddle music tends to bring me ease. Is that the sound of a banjo in the whisper of the trees? So what's that lyric? Is that the sound of a banjo in the whisper of the trees? I think in a lot of my songs, there's a reference to something that's really happened in my life. And then things quickly veer off into like a kind of mystical place. I like that. I like that lyric. Maybe that is about hearing a banjo while you're in the woods, but maybe that's about the whisper of the trees and the sound of the banjo being somehow related. So that's what I mean by things veering off in kind of a mystical (laughs) space. And then I had the idea that I would, this song would be about various musical experiences, important musical experiences in my life. And that's why the second verse is about being down in New Orleans and sitting in with this Dixieland band I mean, the story behind that is there was a great band, sousaphone, trumpet, banjo, and some other instrument. It was a four-piece band. These guys all wearing suits and playing great Dixieland music. And uh, people were like, you should play with those guys. And I was like, no, that's no, I don't want to play with them. I don't know that music. I've been drinking all night. I don't think that I can do it. And I was forced by someone to go up. And they were as unhappy to have me there as I was to be there. So I suggested that maybe we could do St. Louis Blues in the key of D. And the banjo player said, we don't do St. Louis Blues in the key of D. We play in the key of F. There were a bunch of horns, so they played things in F or B flat. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in this verse in the 11 about them, I wanted to give a little tip of my hat to New Orleans. And I wasn't sure how to do it. There's a horn line in a Super Chief trio song that I kind of wanted to rip off. Do you remember what that Super Chief ch- song was or what that yeah, line that was? Ba-dum, bum, bum, ba, bum, bum, bum. Oh, yeah. bop wah wah is the name of the bop, song. bop wah wah yeah. It's the sandwich song. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because it seems like it could almost fit right over... Yeah. So I kind of wanted to use that, but was both too shy to just ask Keith if I could steal it and also felt that maybe I should write my own right. melody <laughs> for my own song. So for that first performance, we had a trumpet player come up and do it. And subsequently, I've been performing that part on the kazoo. 
which is the instrument that I can play that closely, most closely resembles a horn. And hearing these, hearing these great stories, including one of this Catholic priest who was, I guess, a clarinetist, and uh, hearing some stories about him gigging in New Orleans at night, pretty interesting. One of the lines that I like as, you know, in a sort of songwriting perspective is this, learned clarinet at Peterson's feet. I don't know who Peterson is, but that immediately seems significant. Like, you listen to that and you get it. Well, the question is, who is Peterson? So that lyric is, there's a Jesuit priest down on Bourbon Street who learned clarinet at Peterson's feet, which is what I... That was part of the story I heard about this Jesuit priest, is he had learned from this guy, Peterson. And I remember walking around in the French Quarter, and there's a statue of this guy. Um, I don't remember his first name, and the internet has been no help in helping me figure out who this guy is. So I guess he was kind of a local guy that right, I just haven't been able to. Yeah, maybe he didn't record or... And he, he was just the teacher, this right. Catholic priest's teacher. I actually wrote a verse about Paul Jeremiah, the great uh, country blues picker, that didn't make it into the song. I wonder where that lyric is. It's probably in a manila file somewhere right. in my file cabinet. I think there's probably like 25 pages worth of writing that got edited down to four verses in the song. That's a pretty regular thing for me in writing a song. Some of them just come out whole, but usually they're worked pretty thoroughly. I think a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of songwriters write this way, but I think a lot of writers write this way. Maybe 20% of what you've written actually gets put into the piece and the rest mm -hmm. of it is thrown away. The third verse is about the event that decided the course of my life for better or worse. My dad in junior high school had a band called the Four Saints, and they played like the Biltmore on New Year's Eve, they had, and they played weddings and stuff. But when they got their first offer to play in a nightclub, as my grandfather called it, my grandfather was their manager and their driver <laughs> because they were like 14 years old. Uh, my grandfather put the kibosh on it. I think my dad had a jazz master or a Jaguar electric guitar. When he went to college, he traded it in for a beautiful Martin parlor guitar. Until I was 35, I'd only saw my dad play the guitar once. I was four years old, and he played Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock. And it was a really formative experience. And I knew then that I really wanted to learn how to play the guitar. But there was no guitar teacher in my elementary school. But then when I was 16, I started taking guitar lessons with a guy named John Hathaway, who's still playing in Rhode Island. Killer, killer guitar player. So that verse is both about being inspired by my dad to play the guitar. And it's a tip of the hat to John Hathaway. So this third verse brings you to the point, you can play anything that you want to play. And then you go into the part of the song that gives the song its name, right? And let me say something about that. You can play anything that you want to play. I mean, when I was taking lessons with John Hathaway, I was a terrible hack guitar player. John was very encouraging. He never told me that I couldn't play anything. He's like, you'll never, you don't know what you'll be able to do in five or ten years. And I don't think he was picking up on any like particular skill that I had, but I think he was just an encouraging guy. And I've sort of maintained that attitude with my students. You know, you're just at the beginning of learning how to express yourself on this instrument, so who knows what you can do? But in the context of that song, I say that line... And then the song changes dramatically uh, and goes through many permutations, goes into this sort of like Latin, or depending on how you play it, maybe like heavy metal 
feel. It's got this. And then changes and changes and changes until we get to the major key section. The chord progression is taken directly from a Grateful Dead song. That's called the 11. That's called the 11 because it's in 11-4 time. And I count it like 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2. And I've always been interested in weird time signatures. So I took the chord progression from the Grateful Dead and then I had to stop listening. I don't really listen to that song anymore because I never wanted to steal the melody from it. And then I had to write an outro section from that to get back into the song and to totally change keys. And I feel like that's a really kind of pure piece of writing too because I didn't really direct the process. I like tried a couple different things and some musical solutions appeared in a way that I can't quite explain. I feel like sometimes you write a piece of music and you have something in mind and you execute it and other times you have an endpoint in mind and you just kind of find your way there. I can't exactly explain how all that stuff got written, which is one of the things I like about this song. I don't feel like I'm totally responsible for it. Mm -hmm. And for all its convolutions, I don't think it sounds contrived. It seems to have like some sort of flow and some sort of logic to it. A lot of times I let the lyric dictate what goes on in the song. I mean, the lyric in the 11 is what makes all of the verses have a slightly different structure. And having each verse have a slightly different structure is one of the most aggravating things you can do to a band. So a lot of times the lyric will say to me will be like, do this, mm -hmm. go to this chord now, hold it here, and might suggest what like the next section will be. Yeah, I was certainly influenced by the Grateful Dead a lot. I got a lot from uh, Frank Zappa too, mm. who you know have like very tightly arranged songs that would switch gears and go in a totally different direction yeah i mean the most surprising thing about the song to me is that people seem to dig that middle section which is very confusing and the beat changes you know the tempo changes like three or four times but people really seem to pay attention and listen all the way through that yeah and one of the recordings i have you can hear it at the end of it there's just someone in the audience losing his mind <laughs> he's like whoa uh, that's good it's great <laughs> Yeah, you need that guy. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm hoping for, is to really hit someone, hit someone in the gut, sort of surprise them. first verses and like i said there were initially more that were cut they were uh, a tip of the hat to specific musical experiences and then the last verse i think really is just an ode to music itself you know what does it mean in the rat-a-tat-tat of the marching band hear the cosmic call to reach out your hand i guess that's my belief that like you know if i have a religion it's music and through this spiritual practice i'm just i'm a better person it's helping me more clearly perceive the world. And I think when you're more clearly perceiving the world, you're a more generous person. And that verse is just acknowledging that. And then there's the instrumental outro or whatever yeah, you want to why, call it. Yeah, why is there a reggae part at the end of the song? <laughs> I don't know. It seemed to work. 
And then there's like, it touches back on an earlier musical theme from the beginning. Like the outro is a sort of... That last part touches back. It's in a different key and the chords are slightly different, but refers back to a part in the middle. I mean, I think it's... I'm doing this thing where I talk about the song more than I should, but Better I feel like it solves the puzzle of the song nicely in that if it just ended after the last verse, it wouldn't feel quite complete. But on the other hand, like you can't end with this heavy metal 11-4 right. No, I think that's true. And I guess maybe having a little bit of reggae is a tip of the hat to another musical style. You know, I guess I'm saying, I'm saying a lot of thank yous in this song and acknowledging a lot of inspiration. I never thought I'd be a singer when I started playing. I thought I'd just be a guitar player. But at some point, I figured out that I could sing. 20 years later, I'm still pleasantly surprised that I can sing and that I have a powerful voice. It's just really great to shout a melody or like sing a really loud melody in a room. And it's it's interesting because I'm a pretty shy person. But when I'm performing, you know, I have a lot of I have a lot of self-confidence. And it's sort of this weird flip side to the rest of my life, which... I mean, something that occurred to me, I was talking to uh, Matt McLaren, who drums for the Eyesores. I, for the first time in my life, I realized that, you know, two of the biggest things in my life are my music. And then the flip side of that is um, I've been practicing Zen meditation for about 20 years. And when you sit in Zen meditation, you just sit in absolute silence in a room full of silent people. And ju- just two weeks ago, talking to Matt, that sort of dichotomy occurred to me maybe like two sides of the same coin those are my spiritual pursuits which are somehow related and maybe sort of encourage each other so when you decided to perform the song solo somehow it just worked somehow the guitar part was very full and there was a place for a harmonica break i don't play the harmonica because i love it i play it because you can put it in a rack and you can play a melody with it over the guitar and add texture to your songs so there was a space for that and had the kazoo. I think when I play this with the band, the only difference is during the middle part, the 11. Yeah. Instead of playing a harmonica solo, I can play a guitar solo, which is just beyond fun for me to play a major key solo over those quickly moving chords. It's easy for me to play the song with a band. Well, <laughs> it's not easy for the band to learn a song. And you're one of the few people who's learned it. We played the song with the Kill Devils. Yeah. Uh, and then I had another trio with uh, Bob Aspernio and Steve Job. That was oh, acoustic yeah. bass and viola and guitar. And I that band that used to do this song too. And we, yeah, we did a good version with that too. I just remember that middle section sounding like this little chamber orchestra. Yeah, those, those guys are great. Yeah, both Bob and Steve are classically trained, but they can improvise. I mean, that's a great combination. So, if people want to hear more Chris Monty music, or perhaps even purchase it, what should they do? Easiest thing is to go to chrismonty.com, M-O-N-T-I. So you can hear music there, and there's links to iTunes and Bandcamp and all of the internet ways of buying things. And also, that's where you can find out where I'm playing, so you can come check me out. Stuff that's happening in February is the Yankee Peddler, which is the puppet show that I have with Brad Schur. We're based out of the Puppet Showplace Theater in Brookline, but we have a couple touring shows in, I think, Connecticut and Long Island sometime in February. Uh, a show that I have in the spring that's a big show is Marjorie Thompson and I are doing a split bill at the Blackstone River Theater up in Cumberland. 
we're each going to be performing uh, solo, and we'll probably do a couple songs together. And then if people are in like the Boston or Providence areas... I teach clawhammer, banjo, ukulele, guitar, and harmonica. So they can contact you through your website Yeah, you as can well. contact me through the website for sure. Well, uh, my name's Jacob Haller, and my website is music.jwgh.org if you want to hear any of my music or see when I'm playing. This is the Tell Me About Your Song podcast, and you can find the show notes for this episode, which will include links to Chris's website and whatnot, on Tumblr at yoursongpodcast.tumblr.com. We also have a page on Facebook, which... I post to when I update the podcast or when I see something that I think people might be interested in. We're also on iTunes. Uh, if you search for Tell Me About Your Song on iTunes, you'll, you can find the podcast and you can rate it and review it. Right now, we've got, as I record this, uh, it's got three reviews from Sarah Ian and someone identified only as SK Prov. So thanks to the three of you. I appreciate it. If you have something nice you'd like to say about the podcast, please do on iTunes. And so that's it. We're going to go out now by listening to The Eleven by Chris Monty. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Jake Heller. Old time music in Richmond, VA. Mrs. Phyllis Light Blackwell, she don't play. But she sits right up close to her daughter and her man to get the feel of the picking of that old time band. Takes a worried man to sing a worried song I'm worried now, but not for long A little fiddle music tends to bring me ease Is that the sound of a banjo in the whisper of the trees? Playing with the Dixieland band Playing in the corner, no bandstand, grandstand We don't do St. Louis blues and D We'll do Saints in F Watch the B-flat minor Said the tenor banjo playing Louisiana old-timer There's a Jesuit priest down on Bourbon Street Who learned clarinet son's feet he said the best ministry the people do bring is to move their bodies with an all and swing to play. I learned from John Hathaway in his cramped little room the man could play the guitar like he was sweeping a broom. The best thing to me that he ever did say is you can play anything that you want to play.
music is wide, its water is deep, it has no secrets that it wants to keep, so sing it out, play it loud, part that foggy noxious cloud of doubt and despair, clear the air, feel the breeze on your skin, the wind in your hair, hear the rat-a-tat-tat of the marching band, hear the cosmic call to reach out your hand. So I don't know if you remember, in 2005, I did a PBS television show. Um, Is this the one where you gave out your phone number? Yeah, I gave out my phone number. And it was on repeat on PBS at like midnight on Friday or Saturday night for a couple weeks in a row. And at the end of it, I gave out my phone number because I think I wasn't allowed to give out my website or something because Mm. I sold CDs on the website and this was like public television i can't remember exactly so for some reason i gave out my phone number and then so for several weeks in a row drunk people would call me at 1 a.m on saturday morning and be like i saw you on the tv put down the guitar get a job you suck 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 (laughs) there was definitely one guy who called twice and then there was a couple other kids that called um i i don't know if it was really disheartening it was just kind of it was like, it was just, it was kind of funny because it was just like so bad. Like who, it was like the worst kind of heckling. What do you think of Bob Dylan? You suck. 